The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Today we're speaking about a topic that is as well known as it is mysterious. We are talking about in-law relationships. Most of us have our own experience with this topic. Over the years, we've been daughters and sons, we've been mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, in-laws who became outlaws, outlaws who turned out to be the good guys, we've been parents, grandparents, and we've all been involved with children who are sources of great love and unspoken power. We are delighted to have as our guest and expert, Dr. Jeff Grief, who will help us untangle, make meaning, and offer guidelines for improving in law relationships. Dr. Grief, together with his co-author, Michael Woolley, is the author of the new and much acclaimed book, In Law Relationships, Mothers, Daughters, Fathers, and Sons. You may have already read about it or seen it featured this past October in an article in the New York Times. Dr. Grief is a professor at the University of Maryland School of Social Work for over 35 years. He's the author of numerous articles, book chapters, and other books, including Buddy System, Understanding Male Friendships, and Adult Sibling Relationships, both of which he discussed in earlier shows on Psych Up Live. So, Dr. Jeff Grief, it is with great pleasure that I welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Suzanne. Great to be back. Okay. This is a really interesting topic. I want our listeners to know that what you're going to be sharing with us is not opinion, but is actually based on research. So I wonder if you'll just give us a little brief understanding of where the data is coming from. Sure. Over the next, over the last five years, Michael Woolley and I have um, been going through um, two different processes to learn about in-laws. First of all, we had our Masters of Social Work students go out and interview people who they knew. So these were not people who were responding to an ad and saying, oh, I want to talk about how bad my, my mother or father-in-law is or my son-in-law or daughter-in-law. I just am doing a favor for a student to fulfill the student's work requirement. And we have about 400 in-depth interviews that we use as case studies to illustrate findings that we got from a second method, which is a survey through Qualtrics, which is a national online platform that people sign up for. They get given a $5 gift certificate to Target, say, or Starbucks for filling out surveys. So this is a national survey from that point of view, and we had about 1,100 people complete surveys in that part of the research process. We used um, sophisticated statistical analyses of the 
survey data, and then we use the in-depth qualitative interviews to uh, further illustrate the points that we found in the data. So those are the two sources, and the research was done between 2015 and 2019. And and do I have this right that overall, are we talking about 1,000 participants? Yes, actually, we're talking closer to 1,500 participants between the the survey and then a separate series of interviews uh, of 400 people. Okay, so let's start. Historically, and in terms of pop culture, and I know our listeners would agree, the person most focused on, the person who's gotten the worst rap, the person we see the most sitcoms about are mother-in-laws, particularly dealing with their daughters-in-law. So tell us, this is one of your main chapters, what did you actually find about the relationship between mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law? Well, first of all, you are correct in that it's the mother-in-law that has been the target most commonly of jokes, often actually told by male comedians. And if you go online and search for mother-in-law jokes versus father-in-law jokes, son-in-law jokes, daughter-in-law jokes, you'll find that there are many, many more jokes about mothers-in-law and actually right. very few jokes about that other, other uh, branches of the in-law relationship. So it is, they have been, mothers-in-law have, have been the targets for a, a long time. And we found a number of things in relation to them. We found that they tend to rate the relationship with their daughter-in-law much better than the daughter-in-law rates the mother-in-law's relationship. So the big picture is if we interview and survey mothers-in-law, the majority say the relationship is very good. I'd say 15 to 20% say it's great. They have a really wonderful relationship with their daughter-in-law. Another large body of people say they have a fine relationship. It's neither fantastic or terrible. And then maybe one in six uh, complain about a really bad relationship or an emotionally distant one. The interesting thing about this, and it's true for the fathers-in-law and sons-in-law too, is that parents-in-law rate the relationship with the child-in-law, in in this case the daughter-in-law for the mother-in-law, much higher. The quality of the relationship is seen as being much better than when you ask 250 daughters-in-law about their mother-in-law. So we were left with having to interpret that. What do you do with findings? And again, as you said, we're just reporting what we what we found, this is not our opinion, though our opinion comes in when we try to interpret what our findings mean. And we think that mothers-in-law, and it was also true for fathers-in-law who thought the relationship was better than their sons-in-law, we think that parents-in-law, especially mothers-in-law, are very invested and really need to have a, a good relationship with their, their daughter-in-law. So it may be wishful thinking Um, that they are rating it that high because certainly daughters-in-law don't see it in quite as positive a light as do the mothers-in-law. Now, is it the case, correct me please, later in the book, in a finding, is this the case that both daughters-in-law and son-in-laws 
report being closer to mothers-in-law than father-in-laws, even though she may not get the highest ratings. Yeah, and that's a really good thing to highlight because one of our central findings about the study that we've done is that fathers are really on the periphery here, fathers and fathers-in-law, because obviously if you're a father and you have a a married child, you're also a father-in-law. So in these dual roles, even sons-in-law say they are closer to their mother-in-law than they are to their father-in-law. And in fact, when you ask the sons-in-law and daughters-in-law, are they closer with their own mother or father, they tend to say they're closer with their mother, both sons, adult sons and adult daughters are closer with their mother than their father. So that also translates to their being closer to their mother-in-law than their father-in-law when you ask them to rate their level of closeness with the other. Again, a sign that men need to step up more and take more of an emotionally central role. And mothers-in-law are often the ones that are in the middle and are drawing the fire, which is what you um, you alluded to at the beginning of your question. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me feel, uh, reminds me of this advertisement where um, <clears throat> I guess it could be the son or son-in-law says, uh, "Dad, so we need and I need you to come over. You can you can babysit. You're available. Great. Mom's coming too, right?" So that it made me think, even though it's very pleasant with the father-in-law, they really need, even though they may criticize her or whatever, they really need that mother-in-law or that mom there. Yeah, and the tropes that have arisen about her, about being very interfering and uh, into everybody's business, Another way to frame that is that she's just more emotionally central and engaged. So right. if you are the more engaged parent, you certainly are more likely to be seen as the more interfering parent, too, because engagement and interfering have a thin line uh, between them. So I think that's why we need to sort of think about different ways of describing mothers-in-law and admitting that being in the central uh, position in a family, uh, if you're a mother-in-law, is going to be a natural place for you to be in many families. I'm not trying to say that fathers are not engaged. Fathers are much more engaged in the emotional life of the family than they used to be, and we're seeing great changes in that direction. But he is still not as engaged as is the mother slash the mother-in-law. Now, when you looked at some of the factors that played a role for the mothers-in-law, I mean, we're just talking about one, which is engagement and being in the middle of the fray. Um, Some of the others you talked about were things like if the mother-in-law had a good experience with her mother-in-law, she wanted to pass it along. And often if she had a negative one, she wanted to change it in this particular dyad. What other factors did you pick up, Jeff, that play a role in the mother-in-law's relationship with her daughter-in-law? Well, you're, you're right, first of all, in that family history can obviously have an impact on the relationship. When a family opens itself up and their next generation marries um, in, and brings a new person. In this case, we can talk about a son. It could be a daughter, but a son marrying um, a woman. She, that woman, the daughter-in-law, brings her own history of relationships and expectations about what's going to happen. And that could have been honed 
by her own experience from her mother and what she saw mm-hmm. with her um, with her uh, husband's family. So you have two histories coming together, and sometimes they fit together very nicely, and sometimes they do not fit together so nicely through no fault of anybody else's. They just have different types of ex- expectations about what will be the relationship going forward and different experiences. A mother-in-law who has been a mother uh, to a number of children is going to have potentially a hard time stepping back and letting another woman come into her son's life. And she's going to have to also uh, learn that that new woman, the daughter-in-law, may be showing up at family events and wanting to prepare food or wanting to talk about work. I don't want to only put a woman into the, the food preparation mm-hmm, part, of, mm-hmm. part of the culture. She may be talking about her, her work, and the mother's used to talking about, about her, her profession. All of a sudden, someone new is taking that, that role. So there are a number of factors at play, uh, first of all, and that's where the family history comes in. And women who were not that close with their own mother may be looking for a mother-in-law to whom that they can be close. At the mm-hmm. same time, a woman who is not close with her own mother may um, may not want to be close to somebody else. They may want to um, maintain more of a level of independence because they don't feel comfortable around around older women. So it can go in, in a number of different mm-hmm. directions. Mm-hmm. And finally, mm-hmm. we have a, a lot of women, daughters-in-law, who have very loving relationships with their own mother, and they have very loving relationships with their mother-in-law. They have yes. they've from from loving families, and um, and they have enough to give, uh, and they're, they're open to having more more loving relationships. Mm. But I want to go back to your specific question. One of the key predictors of being on the same page as your mother-in-law, if you're a daughter-in-law, or uh, or on the daughter-in-law's page, if you're a mother-in-law, is parenting philosophy. Now, mm. not all the people we interviewed had children. But of those that we did, when the parenting philosophy lined up, when they approached child rearing in the same way, and it's not surprising, they got along a lot better. So if a mother-in-law thinks her grandchildren are not being raised the way she would raise them, the mother-in-law is going to have to do a lot of long and hard thinking about being careful about what to say to a daughter-in-law, and also to her son. We must include at some point in this discussion the role that the son plays mm-hmm. in, in the mother-in-law-daughter-in-law's relationship, as well as the father-in-law. So parenting philosophy is one of the key things. It's, it's okay how my parents-in-law treated me because I'm an adult and I can nod and say, yes, yes, Dan, or yes, Millie, which were the names of my parents-in-law, and, and blow it off. I was an adult, but if they treat my children that way, that's going to get me more engaged and more upset. So that's where having children can open the door to problems. It can also open the door to more inclusion in the family. Some of the families we interviewed told us that they weren't overly close to their parents-in-law until they they produced helped produce a, a grandchild, perhaps the first grandchild in the family, too. Now, but didn't, and we're going to have to take a break, but isn't there a finding that daughter-in-laws without children are closer to their mother-in-laws than those with children? 
Yes, yes, that was a finding that we we had. Other other research is not as as clear on that, but for um, for some, uh, the mother-in-law wasn't clear what her role would be after her daughter-in-law gave birth. The daughter-in-law would go to her own mother yes. if the mother was available, and that leaves the mother-in-law unclear where she stands unless her son can invite her in more. Yeah, I did read that. We uh, we have a, a few minutes, so let me let me say this. One of the things that I read that really rang true in terms of practicing for so many years is the feeling mother-in-laws have, because now let's talk about it from the daughter-in-law side. So mother-in-law, if she could, she might say, you want childcare help and I can't wait to get there and offer the childcare help, but I've learned I may never give advice. So it's as you say, Jeff, so if there's a difference in parenting styles, mother-in-laws have learned if you want to stay in the situation, and very often daughter-in-laws desperately need the backup in childcare. I've seen so many women work. And even though they might be working on Zoom in, in the pandemic that we're living in, they need mm-hmm. help. So it's a, it's, a, it's a bind for both the daughter-in-laws in some way, but also for the mother-in-laws. The other thing I heard that I had heard before is daughter-in-laws saying, mm, I don't, she's really not my cup of tea I would I'm not that comfortable spending time alone with her but for the sake of my husband I will make it happen so we're going to have to stop and we're going to take the break but let's talk about those and more about the daughter-in-laws on the other side of the break you've been listening to Psych Up Live we're here with Dr. Jeffrey Grief and he's giving us such interesting information based on his new and acclaimed book In-Law Relationships Mothers, daughters, fathers, and sons. Stay with us. Much more coming. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. 
Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Jeffrey Greif, and we're talking about in-law relationships Mothers, daughters, fathers, and sons. And we're just about to speak about what what are the kind of findings that you actually got in terms of the daughter-in-law's relationship from her perspective to the mother's-in-law. Yeah, we asked them a number of survey questions, and approximately one in five daughters-in-law agreed with the statement that they were close with their um, mother-in-law, they or they strongly agreed. A quarter strongly agreed that they admired her. About one in five strongly agreed that they enjoyed spending time with her. So you've got just looking at that, 22 percent, or only 22 percent, strongly agreed with the statement, "I enjoy spending time with my, my mother-in-law." Um, an equal number said that they trusted their mother-in-law. They strongly agreed. So there are a lot of things from the daughters-in-law perspective that tend to put this relationship little more on a, on a medium or on a tenterhook uh, and not necessarily this loving, very close, but at the same time, there was um, not a huge amount of distance. The majority of folks, slightly over 50%, did agree that they were close, but when you get to the strongly agree, the numbers tended to, to fall off, and there was more the sense that the daughters-in-law were okay with the mother-in-law in most cases. Um, a few were very close, and a few were, were very distant. Okay, well, what factors did you actually find um, pushed the daughter-in-law into a more positive experience with the mother-in-law as opposed to the factors that moved us toward a negative, you know, valence? Great, great question. The things that tended to predict better relationships were, again, the parenting philosophy, uh, as we talked about before, having the same parenting philosophy, having similar interests really, really helps. It doesn't mean that if your mother-in-law is a chess master, you have to go and become a chess master, but you might want to begin thinking about, is there some reading up I should do at least on chess? So we have the, the basis for some kind of conversation when we're together, and that would show an attempt um, by the daughter-in-law to try and learn more about the, about the mother-in-law. Um, it would also help if, and this can't be controlled really, if you know the mother-in-law better before the marriage. Some mothers-in-law, as you can guess, if they did not approve 
of the marriage are not going to be that close to the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law is going to sense that the mother-in-law did not approve of the marriage, and that can be a, a death knell to mm-hmm. to these, these relationships when there is is little little approval for the, the marriage. And finally, um, what helps a great deal is having a good relationship uh, with the husband um, involved with the mother-in-law's son, the daughter-in-law's husband, um, being happy with the, with the relationship. So the daughters-in-law that say, my husband is happy with my relationship with my mother-in-law, tended to, of course, have better relationships. Now, okay. that's somewhat of a, of a circular <clears throat> approach to it. That's what we found. Well, when did you find that race, ethnicity, um, ethnicity, uh, religion, uh, gender um, played a role in improving or um, in some way adding a negative piece to the relationship? We spent a lot of time looking at issues around, also around class, around growing up in the same, same economic class, uh, being the same race slash ethnicity, and also being the same, the same faith. Uh, Overall, for the sample, no, we did not find um, something that was predictive, but we found a lot of stuff that tended to go in the direction you would expect, that marrying somebody from a different religion, especially if you were highly involved in, in your religion, um, was uh, something that did make the relationship more, more difficult. So at the, at the margins... The parents-in-law and daughters-in-law that were very invested in, in, in religion, um, if they married somebody that was either not as invested, even in the same religion, if a Reformed Jew marries an Orthodox Jew, uh, they're both Jewish, but they're on, on different ends of a of the observation of an observance uh, schedule. There could be a, a lot of disagreement around that. Race... Um, is something that a lot of people are not going to ad- admit to um, because we are always um, we're pretty well well socialized to to not say that that's an issue. But again, at the margins, uh, race did become an issue for a few of the uh, of the people. And again, social class, the issue of money, um, daughters-in-law um, not being seen as working hard enough or only marrying. Uh, the, the husband for money, according to the mother-in-law, that, that became mm-hmm. an issue. So money mm-hmm. was more an issue for uh, for mothers-in-law than it was for daughters-in-law. Okay, so now what about this, the groom? What about the role of the son of the mother-in-law in terms of the relationship his new wife or his wife for many years has with the mother-in-law? Very, very important. We don't spend enough time thinking about the third side of this triangle of mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, and son. Now, remember, in most cases, the son and daughter-in-law have talked a great deal about about his mother or maybe his father and maybe his father. And so the daughter-in-law has gotten some sense, some uh, guidance even maybe about how to deal with um, her husband's mother. And so um, she picks up on that. Uh, and if she has married somebody who is not at all close to to his mother, she has she has two 
two positions to take. She can support him in not getting closer, or she can be the one who was married because she was believed to, to bring the, them closer together. People get married for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. And sometimes right. You sometimes get married to repair broken relationships in your own family. But the happiness that is seen between the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law can make the son feel very happy if he's close with his, with his mother. And so in considering this, the role of the son becomes very clear. And the, daughter, the mother-in-law may be saying, look, I, I want to see the kids. Uh, why can't I see your kids? And the son is in the position of saying, well, uh, my wife, your daughter-in-law, is really the one who's controlling the, the, the schedule, and I don't have that much to do with it. So the mm-hmm. way that that gets communicated to the mother-in-law um, and the role that the sometimes sons play in getting caught between the daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, just as the daughter-in-law gets caught between the son-in-law, that between her son, between her husband, I'm sorry, and his mother, can, mm-hmm. can be very, very tough. So trying to balance the three sides of the triangle for the two children can be a real balancing act. And it really can impact all sides, including the marriage. Years and years ago, Jeff, I had a case where the wife, this is the daughter-in-law, was outraged that the mother and son exchanged holiday gifts from each other. She wasn't even included in that. And she thought, she, she said to me, is, is that the norm? How, how can that be? And so, you know, what you're saying is so true. That relationship, if it's unduly close or if it's a nightmare, has to impact the role that the daughter-in-law is going to play and the feeling she's going to have. So his role is really, really big in this. Now let's go to father-in-laws and son-in-laws. What have we found about that, that group? Well, let me f- first also say uh, that, as I said before, fathers-in-law tend to believe they are closer with their sons-in-law than sons-in-law feel about their, their fathers-in-law. Right. For example, a third of the fathers-in-law strongly agree that they admired their son-in-law, whereas only 19% of the sons-in-law strongly agreed that they admired their, their father-in-law. Um, Another finding is that uh, one in five of the fathers-in-law said they were strongly agreed they were close to their son-in-law, and only about one in six of the one in one in eight rather of the sons-in-law said that. I don't I don't want to throw a, a lot of of numbers at you uh, and at the listeners, but I just want to say that like the mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law, the older generation tends to frame these relationships as better than the younger younger generations. Some of this um, from the interviews that we did, and we have extensive case studies, and it's not all numbers, it's a lot about the stories and quotes from people in the book, uh, show that some fathers-in-law rate their sons-in-law on their ability to bring in money or to work. And so we have uh, issues around the way men are or socialized in our society, where work is an important part of the uh, the identity. I think fathers want their daughters, it could be their sons, but in this case we're talking about daughters, to marry uh, men who will financially be their equal or, or take care of them uh, from a financial point of view. And when that does not happen, when the father-in-law sees a son-in-law not, quote-unquote, carrying his weight or fulfilling a traditional 
masculine role, there can be problems. Mm-hmm. The problems mm-hmm. are not as significant as they used to be. Again, men and women have um, changed a great deal, and there are many more options for how to behave as a man and a woman in our society, but some of those old uh, tropes around men's roles certainly still exist for the older generation, and they may convey it to the younger generation. Well, help me out with this one. I think you said, and I don't know if this was true in your research, that in general, sons-in-laws reported better relationships with both mother-in-laws and father-in-laws than the daughter-in-laws did. Is, is that true? Um, I know that sons-in-law felt closer to the mother-in-law than they did to the, to the father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, right. I, I think that's, that's something to, to think about in terms of the role of the, of the father-in-law. But yes, I, I think we also found that the sons-in-law don't really think much of, about the relationship, too. I mean, we have, again, if we want to zoom back to a bird's-eye view, in general, the daughters-in-law are going to be thinking more about the relationship with mm-hmm. other people in the family because women, in general, play a more central role. So I think that men are just not giving this as much thought as are women. Men are certainly giving it a lot of thought, just not as much thought as women. And that may leave um, the son-in-law with not being as bothered by his mother-in-law, which is, of course, a often a happier person. So let's think about who his mother-in-law is. His mother-in-law is his wife's Mother. mother. So that woman, if there are children, the grandmother has access to the children, her grandchildren, uh, through that relationship, because women tend to grant more access to um, than do than do fathers than do men. So mm-hmm. I think that's a piece of what happens here. If we're looking at mothers-in-law. Um, of uh, in that in that position of in relation to daughters-in-law, it's different. Sorry about that buzzing. No, that's okay. I I also had the feeling, and I know you mentioned it in general, Jeff. Men don't emotionally expect as much, be they the father-in-laws or the sons-in-law. I just don't yes. think they they expect a lot of emotional exchange. I don't think they pick up some of the nuance. Women don't miss right. anything. And yeah, no, don't. you're raising a good point, uh, and I, I, I want to just expand on that a little bit. Yeah. We don't think that men, uh, the fathers-in-law or sons-in-law, enter um, in this relationship um, with the same expectations. So uh, they may unconsciously agree to not emotionally expect much from each other, and they may be expecting more from the, the women in the family to sort of control when they all get together as a family. In most families, not all families, women set the social schedule and they may also set the childcare schedule. So thinking about that, the men are not going to have as high expectations, are not going to be, I don't want to say emotionally needy because that puts it into a a bad place, a bad frame, but are not going to have the same uh, expectations of of an emotional relationship with their father-in-law as will the daughters-in-law have. And I, I have seen as a result of them being a bit more neutral that when there is a clash, 
between the mothers-in-law and the daughters-in-law, sometimes it is a somewhat neutral (laughs) father-in-law who will help his wife, you know, talk her down a bit. And sometimes the son is helping his wife talk her down a little bit. So they are sometimes... that's a real, very keen observation. We found that that the way that the father-in-law and son can help is they sometimes serve as a buffer between the two if things are getting a little bit too hot on the stove. They can they can help to turn down the steam. Um, when we asked the fathers-in-law though about the amount of assistance that they got from their wives with dealing with the son-in-law and the amount of assistance that the mother-in-law, we ask her, how much assistance did you get from your your husband, the father-in-law, with your daughter-in-law? It seems that the men get a lot more assistance from the women than the women get from the men. Again, Mm -hmm. returning to that same theme that we're coming up with, that women are much more central and are watching more of the action and trying to intervene in more of the action to get things to move move down the track in the direction they wanted to move in. Right, right. And she's in the fray. That's why they want her there with the babysitting with um, mellow grandpa. <laughs> right, because exactly right. Exactly on the other right. hand, sometimes mellow grandpa plays a role. So um, let's, let's move a bit to, uh, is there any other finding, let me just say, about, oh, let me, sh- let me ask you this, this one. This is so interesting. When mother... Both sons-in-laws and daughter-in-laws, if they have had positive relationships with their own parents, tend to have better relationships with their in-laws. Is that true? Yes. And I think that, think that makes sense. If, if you grow up with, in a family where people are getting along well, it makes it easier for you to know how to get along with new people, with, with in-laws. Because you've already come from a, a lifelong experience or a childhood experience of figuring out um, this is what good relationships look like and this is what I can do in relation to my own in-laws to get, get along with, with them. If, right. if, the, if the son always liked going out for, for long, long walks with, his, with his, his father and found that to be a very, very therapeutic and nice way to spend time, he's going to feel comfortable doing that with his, with his father-in-law, assuming he gets the green light from his wife. Right. That. right. So, yeah, learning okay. along with people growing up is a really important predictor of learning to get along with people when you become an adult. I don't right. want to forget about one other thing that's very different between okay. the women and the men. That okay, is just jealous. About- Okay, let's just take a break and come right back to that. And we're also going to come back to the, the fact is that we, we see that you found with gay and lesbian couples. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Jeffrey Greif. He's the author of the new acclaimed book, In-Law Relationships, Mothers, Daughters, Fathers, and Sons. We're coming back to speak about jealousy and gay and lesbian couples. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we, and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back, folks. We're with Dr. Jeffrey Greif, and we're just about to talk about jealousy in terms of in-law relationships. What what did you find in terms of that, Jeff? Mothers-in-law are much more jealous than fathers-in-law. When you ask them, not a surprise, when you ask them about levels of jealousy, and when you ask the sons-in-law and daughters-in-law to reflect on levels of jealousy in the parents-in-law, um, there's much more issue around mothers-in-law being perceived as being jealous by daughters-in-law or mothers-in-law admitting to, be, to being jealous of how much time they have. Now, during a pandemic, this is even more extreme mm. because you may have... Um, a whole set of grandparents who just are unable to, to visit and are not part of a pod. And this just goes on and on and on for months as we, we're seeing it. We're almost up to a year now of mm-hmm. separation in March. So you can understand how if sure. someone is already feeling unsure of how well her grandchildren or how well his grandchildren knows her or knows him, then you add on this year of, of separation only broken up by an occasional Facebook or Zoom meeting, whereas the other grandparents are there all the time, um, it can really add to the feeling of being excluded from, from the family and not being able to watch or connect with your, your children and your grandchildren. It, yeah, it's extent. really an example of ambiguous loss. It, it is experienced 
all the time. My people report it all the time, and it's a tremendous loss. So, you know, we're hoping people can repair and reconnect on the other side of this. Let's go to gay and lesbian couples. It's wonderful. It's great that, that they were included, and I know you said you wished that you could even expand that to the LGBTQ group. What did you find from those that you were involved in the sample and in the research? Yeah, there were uh, some themes that uh, emerged from that. There were, number one, there are some people that we interviewed. We interviewed both parents in law that have a son or daughter um, who is gay or lesbian, is married someone of the same gender, or we have um, sons-in-law and daughters-in-law who are are in a same-sex marriage. Um, And we found that... um, Eventually, in most cases, while the immediate family comes around, in other words, the parents may have um, a hard time initially, uh, they may have known that their child was gay or lesbian, but when they come home with a spouse or talk about marriage, it becomes more public. If there's a, a wedding, there's one uh, lengthy case we have where there's a, um, there's a marriage and the lesbian's father said, I don't feel comfortable coming to the, the marriage uh, ceremony and making it this, this public. But eventually he was convinced to come, and he gets up and gives a very nice, nice toast at the wedding or tells his, his daughter at the wedding, I, I was very, very hesitant to, to do this, but now I'm here, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm here. But he had... He had told the, uh, his daughter, gee, you have to get married. And his daughter said, look, I want the same house with the white picket fence and children that everybody else wants. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't I be able to have that? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in most cases, the, the immediate family comes around, but, and this is a major uh, but, that other people in the wider social circle or extended family don't come around and either don't show up or make comments or tend to put the parents-in-law or the children-in-law in uncomfortable positions. So eventually most people realize if I want to stay close to my daughter or son, I'm going to have to accept my daughter or, or son as they are, and I'm going to have to accept their, their spouse too. So there are a number of stories about the struggle that comes initially uh, not everybody had had problems. Some people we interviewed said, said everything's great. My we always knew my daughter was a lesbian or my son was gay, and we we, we were we were comfortable with that. We we came to terms with that, and it was no problem. And we have hence come to love uh, the person who our son or, or daughter has married, and we accept her or, or him uh, wholeheartedly into the family. So it's not an across the board struggle, but there were a number of people who did struggle if not with their parents-in-law, then with their friends or extended family. What, I, I thought the, the, the examples were wonderful. And one thing that I, that I think you're alluding to that I, I have found that people have said, when there are family or friends who just will not accept this, thankfully, most parents move on to those friends who can embrace this marriage and this couple with love the way they do. And it's an example where you, we talk about second second chance family, because they yeah. love my children, love me. That's the way it goes. And some of the, the examples they gave, it showed that, as you're saying, 
Acceptance was never an issue. Acceptance was initially hesitant, but then it really shifted to acceptance. And then there are some people who are never going to come around. And a number of your couples or the families that spoke, they just kept on going. They didn't let that deter them. Yeah, it's also important to point out that you often don't get both parents um, to come to the same place. And it's usually Mm -hmm. the mother who comes around ahead of the father. It, mm-hmm. Not not always, but you did have also children-in-law that were dealing with um, immediate in, in-laws, one of whom was more accepting than the next. So it's hard for parents in general to be in the same place on everything, and it's maybe especially hard in, in some of these situations. I also think um, our gay and lesbian couples also deal with all the other kind of issues we've been talking about especially if there are children, expectations of who's supporting whom, um, how close they are to the mother-in-law and the father-in-law. So, you know, there are a lot of those similar dynamics get played out from what I could understand. Would you say that's true? Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that absolutely is true. And of course, any, any unresolved issues that the parents might have with their children then get um, displaced or added to a strained relationship with the, the spouse of, of that child too. So it, it, it really gets carried on into the, into the next generation. There's, there's also, of course, a, ge- a geographical situation too. There are some gay and lesbian couples that just don't feel comfortable living in certain parts of the, of the country right. too. So you may have them moving to a city whereas their parents are still in, in a, a more, more rural area or more, politically conservative area, and when they come home to visit, that can cause some problems, too. Mm. Okay, so for all of our couples and all our moms, dads, um, sons and daughters, what kind of advice can you share about improving in-law relationships? Well, well, there are some broad ways to go. Number one, it's to accept the fact that, and you use the term ambiguity or ambiguous already, that a lot of adult relationships between parents and children, forgetting about in-laws, are ambivalent and ambiguous. Some of us don't understand our children. Some of our children don't understand parents. And sometimes relationships between uh, generations come with ambivalent feelings, mixed feelings, and that is normal. So, number one, we don't live in a Norman Rockwell world (laughs) in most cases. It's not a, a perfectly you know, pictured uh, family in most cases. So we have to accept that fact. But there are four general areas um, that I talk to people about if they want to improve their relationships very quickly. One area is look at your family history. How open has your family been to letting in new people? Um, What have previous generations done and said about in-laws and about marriage? And are there other people coming into the family that are being more accepted than are, are this generation, than is this generation? Um, Secondly, there's the issue of communication. Are you a communicating family who want to talk about everything and get everything out on the table? Or are you the kind of family that says, mm, I think I'm going to learn to keep my mouth shut, and that's just how I was raised, and, and we're going to focus on the, on the best, and I'm going to ignore things that I hear that I don't, I don't like, sort of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's advice about, about marriage. Sometimes it helps to be a little bit deaf. Yes. I'm not saying that that's 
good for everybody. Some people come from families where, no, we need to talk this out and everything can be worked through. But it's rare for two different families to come together, the daughter and the son's family, to come together and have the same style of communication. So thinking about communication style, the third piece is around boundaries. Every couple to survive has to put a boundary around their relationship to protect it to some extent from their own parents. But some cultures are much more inclusive and are just joining in with that older generation and are expected to be uh, very porous and open in terms of their boundaries. Others come from cultures or family histories where boundaries are maintained. So think about the boundaries in your family. And finally, think about the narrative. What is the message that you want to give to your own children about their grandparents? and Mm -hmm. to other people in the family, cousins, about how people get along in the family. I think those are are very important messages to consider as you move forward. Okay. So now how can people find your book, this book and your other books, um, Jeff? They're all on... I guess Amazon, uh, and you can you can buy them buy them there. Oxford University Press is the is the publisher of this book on in law relationships, mothers, daughters, fathers, and sons. So you can find that on on Amazon or get it straight from the publisher, Oxford University Press. Okay, um, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for returning to Psych Up Live. The other this shows were wonderful. This was wonderful. Also, I'm sure I know our listen is related to what you shared and took away something valuable. Thanks again. I want to thank, thank my listeners. You're welcome. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast. This will be a podcast by 6 p.m. Eastern. It'll be on my website, on the host site, but I know many people prefer and do hear it on the podcast platforms of iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, TuneIn, Google, Alexa, um, iHeart. Please listen. Drop me a line or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe, wear masks. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.